today on Ag News Daily. Despite everything, despite the freeze, despite hail part across parts of the plains, this, that, and everything else, wheat started to look pretty good again. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with Delaney Howe, starting off the last Monday of the month of April. Delaney, April ending is a big deal because that's when a lot of these states' various uh, stay-at-home orders begin to go away. They begin to expire. Folks are going to be able to leave the house again. Bring us up to speed on what's going on in Iowa. Yeah, so today Governor Reynolds announced that things will open starting May 1st, including gyms and restaurants and salons and all that stuff. But she put this weird clause in there that said at 50% capacity. So it's like, what does you, you get to go in, Mike, but I don't get to go into the restaurant. So I'm not really quite sure like how that works or if they mean it to be if your restaurant can hold 100 people, you can only have 50 people in there at any one point in time. I don't know. That's they didn't really yep. offer any no, clarity. That's, that's what it means. Basically, the uh, the fire marshal capacity, you can have half gotcha. of those people in there at any given time. So it's exciting, I think, to see that things are opening back up. But the other flip side of that is I guess I was also seeing kind of a peak, not, not a peak, we've seen a spike in cases, again, confirmed over the weekend. So... Maybe a little preempt, but I'm in the camp that we should open back up because the economy needs it. Yeah, and you know, when you look at gyms, you might as well open them up because then nobody's going to go anyway. Well, I'm going to go. Sure. I'm going to think about going. Absolutely. That's what everybody's going to do. See, gyms make the perfect sense to reopen because it gives people feeling like they can go somewhere. That's true. Nobody's ever going to go. So you might as well. well I think there'll be a small percentage of people that go. Yeah, wackos. The Jimmy people, the really buff people. Yeah, wackos. Do they uh, not know that you can just eat pizza and drink Mountain Dew and not have to worry <laughs> about going to a gym at all? Like, has nobody explained this to them? Um, I don't think they want to end up on my 400-pound life. Eh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm already designing how I can lay out my, my future bedroom so the trains <laughs> can get me out. Oh, my gosh. Well, Delaney, that is interesting. Of course, we are seeing that take place. Tennessee and Georgia also are lifting restrictions. Uh, in fact, Georgia and Tennessee, I both today have uh, opened up restaurants. In addition to several other classes of business, we're seeing uh, some states extend. Uh, Illinois' uh, stay-at-home order has been extended through the month of May. Well, Wisconsin's has as well. But it is going to be interesting to watch these states who are re- letting people return to work or return to going out to eat, return to a sense of normalcy, how they manage coronavirus. Because this could be a week that really sets the stage for how we handle this thing going forward. It certainly could. But I'm hoping it's um, reacted well to, I suppose. I do too. But there is one sector where people have not quit going to work and coronavirus continues to spread and disrupt the industry. And that is, of course, meat packing. Mm. We continue to see packing plants shut down. Um, We did have an interesting thing happen over the weekend. Tyson Foods took out a full page ad in the New York Times on Saturday or Sunday. And in it, uh, basically, they wrote a letter 
saying that the food supply chain is breaking. They're working hard to do everything they can to keep uh, keep pigs and, and animals moving through the livestock system, moving through the slaughter system. But they said that this is really going to cause disruptions in their ability to get food to grocery stores. In fact, in the letter, they said, you will see fewer of our products in the meat case just because we cannot keep up with demand with all of these plants being closed. So this is a big issue. Um, I want to take a look. I thought I had a list of plants that are currently closed, but it has not been updated, so I'm not going to read it. Yeah. If you're a pork producer or a beef producer, you know whether or not your plant is open or running at uh, reduced capacity. Yeah, I think a few more places closed over the weekend, including one that shut down on Saturday in... I'm not positive where it is. Oh, Logansport, Indiana. It's a Tyson Foods facility that shut down. Uh, because they have about 2,200 employees that need to be tested before they feel comfortable reopening the facility. We also know that the Smithfield facility in Monmouth, Illinois, has been shut down, followed by really quite a few others, including North Carolina, Smithfield plant there. We saw a Jenny O facility shut down, a turkey facility in Minnesota, and another facility in Delaware and Maryland. So, it's only a matter of time before we start to see this hit the food supply chain. Yeah, in fact, it already is. We are seeing beef prices continue to climb into record territory. Pork prices at the grocery store are doing the exact same thing, even as the live prices for those animals continues to deteriorate, which is much for the consternation of the cattle feeder and the pork producer. Delaney, it is very, very frustrating, and it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. No, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't, Mike. And because of that, the USDA has put together an animal response crisis coordination center, specifically called the National Incident Coordination Center, to help producers who cannot take animals to market as those meat processing facilities continue to close down due to COVID-19. So it's essentially a, a hotline or a risk management type of agency, if you will. Um, I believe they haven't really released a ton of deadlines yet, but I believe it's to help you with figuring out where to take livestock, how to dispose of livestock, if perhaps it comes to that point where you've got to get rid of some pigs. And they're trying to deploy that, of course, nationwide. And they're also working to mobilize, the mobilize and deploy national veterinary stockpile as needed. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to continue to see this in the news. We will continue to bring you updates as we, uh, we move forward. However, we do have, I think, an interesting update from the Georgia Farm Bureau. In spite of the Tyson letter over the weekend in the New York Times, Georgia Farm Bureau has made an announcement saying that the food supply chain, um, the food supply is sufficient. And of course, we know COVID-19 is not a um, a foodborne disease, so you're not going to catch it by, uh, by eating any type of food. But the American Farm Bureau is really trying to put people at ease, saying that, you know, keeping your hands clean in the kitchen is the most important step you can take to stop this thing. And there is plenty of food out there. Farmers are still working very hard to get food to the people, which I think all of our listeners are very aware of. Yes, I think they are as well. And in fact, you might be figuring out right now what you're going to do to be able to get farm or get your food to the consumers as we continue to see these facilities shutting down. 
Yeah, for sure, Delaney. Hopefully folks are thinking outside the box. Although I have been calling around trying to get a pig into a locker. And mm. I tell you what, lockers are booking up fast. If any of our listeners out there are in uh, in Iowa anywhere and they have a, a they have a meat locker that has some open spaces for a hog, give me a holler. Uh, drop us a line on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm uh, really searching. It's tough to find any open space for getting animals processed privately. Yeah, and it poses the question too, I think, whether or not we should have moved from, you know, having lots of local meat lockers to then having just maybe a few local meat lockers and these huge processing facilities. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see if we see the rebirth of the local butcher again. It would be nice to see, you know, and I think at the end of the day, this is going to put a lot of pressure on um, our governing bodies whose regulations have really forced a lot of the local small-time butchers and processing facilities out of operation. Um, if we can get some of those rules rolled back in a common sense way, that can let more people process more livestock outside the hands of the major packing facilities. Correct. Absolutely. Well, we've got some news on oil. Of course, it was just a week ago that oil, the West Texas uh, contract, set uh, broke history by trading in negative territory, closing at negative $37 per barrel. Again, today, we had another update that storage for crude oil is running out. Goldman Sachs said we could be out of storage, functionally out of storage, in the next month. They predict lots of volatility ahead in the crude oil business, in the contracts. And uh, we saw West Texas crude again today down 18% as these the storage fears run rampant. Um, Given that fuel demand is down 30% and 85% of the world's storage is currently full of crude. So we're going to see a lot of volatility. Then that volatility, of course, is going to spread into the corn market as crude is a crucial uh, you know, barometer for the strength of the ethanol industry. Yeah, this one's going to be an interesting story to watch develop as well, especially if we see, I mean, we... No, OPEC is trying to cut production, but will countries abide by that? And if they do, and we see systems start to reopen, we see people getting out there and driving, will we see then a skyrocket the other way because they're holding back on releasing oil into the system again? I've got a feeling if folks start driving, they will start pulling crude out of storage as fast as humanly possible just to make room for the crude that is still needing to move in there. So low gas prices should uh, persist for a little while. Depends on how quick this recovery happens and how much consumers actually get out there and drive as we head into the summer driving season. I'm going to personally drive a ton because I'm just tired of being cooped up. Yeah, no, I hear you, Delaney. Well, also turning our attention to the summer is the USMCA agreement, which has uh, kind of been back in the out of the limelight for quite some time because of COVID concerns. But U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said on Friday that he has, he has sent an official notice to Congress that the USMCA will be ready for implementation on July 1st, which is the final step in this long process that we've been talking about for so long. Oh, that will be good news. It will at least provide some certainty, even if, as you mentioned, it is no longer moving headlines. It certainly is not. You know, another thing that is no longer moving headlines was certainly on the minds of agriculture for the past four years is the WOTUS rule. On April 21st, we had the final rule get published, and it was published by the, uh, the EPA. 
It's their final rule. And basically there are four categories of water that can be regulated by the EPA and the Corps under the Clean Water Act. These are territorial seas and traditional navigable waters. Think the Mississippi and Missouri and so forth. Perennial and intermittent tributaries, certain lakes, ponds, and impoundments, impoundments and wetlands adjacent to jurisdictional waters. Um, so this is how it's finally broken down. We do finally have some certainty. However, it was also announced that there are, let me find the numbers here, a number, I guess, of uh, environmental groups have already alerted the EPA that they intend to file suit over this rule saying it does not go far enough to protect water. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see once we get a new administration in if we'll see that change again. Right. Yep. That's the uh, that's the big question. It certainly is. But uh, Mike, I think I am all out of news for today. What do you say we hit the commodity markets? Yeah, let's see where things wrapped up. We'll be speaking with Darren Newsom here for our Market Monday conversation. But folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you need to talk through some hedging strategies or some risk management strategies, visit their website, agmarket.net. We are down in the grains today. Basically, there's a lot of concern on the trader's perspective that, you know, planting probably made quite a bit of progress this past week with decent weather across much of the Corn Belt, and that has been a drag on prices. We did see the May contract set a new contract low. Of course, uh, that one is getting close to, uh, to expiration here, moving into delivery. So let's look at the July. The July was down 10 and a quarter at 312 and three quarters. December corn down eight and a quarter, closed at 328 and a half. Soybeans also lower on the day. The July was off two and a half cents at 837 even. The November down a half at 841 even. Wheat lower on the day. The July contract, Chicago down five and a half cents at 525 even. December down four and a quarter to close at 536 even. Looking over at the world of livestock, we had big gains when the market opened this morning and we saw those get paired a little bit though. Live cattle came back at the end. June live cattle up a dollar forty-two half at eighty-four oh five. August up a dollar fifty, closed at ninety forty. Feeder cattle also in the green on the day. The May contract, well, let's go. To, yeah, the May contract was up seventy cents at one eighteen fifteen. August up eighty-seven and a half at one twenty-seven twenty-seven fifty. The big gain today was in lean hogs. We've got limit up across the complex. June limit up up that expanded limit three dollars seventy-five cents at fifty-five cent twenty-seven half. July up $3.75 as well, closing at 58.42 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, we see class three milk prices mixed on the day. The April contract down two cents at 13.18, with the May up 46 cents on the day to close at 11.26. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Mr. Darren Newsom to make sense of these numbers. For today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, as promised, we are talking to one of our good friends of the podcast, Darren Newsom of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, how are you doing today? It's been a little while since we've chatted with you. Yeah, doing well. Um, just like everybody else, just staying home and you know watching markets from my basement and waiting for the fallout, I guess. <laughs> waiting for the fallout. Well, it certainly seems like there's been a big fallout in the oil market. Uh, tell mm -hmm. us about your analysis, what you're watching with the oil, because I know that's a market you are watching pretty closely. Yeah, I've, I've done a great deal of writing about crude oil because it is, it's fascinating right now. Uh, you know, a week ago today, we saw futures market go negative, which I've been doing this for a long time. A lot of folks have been doing it longer than I, and nobody had ever seen futures market go zero, you know, below zero before. And, and uh, 
you know, we've seen cash markets go below zero, particularly in crude oil, particularly here recently. But we saw a futures market go below zero. And, and everyone was saying, you know, how, how can this be? It, it can't work this way. Well, it does. And, and it's a great example for what can happen when you continue to build supplies in the face of no demand. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lesson there for a lot of markets that we're watching these days. Uh, you can go zero. It can be easier or it can be more beneficial for, for producers, in this case, uh, oil producers, to pay somebody to take it off their hands rather than to shut down, stop producing, and then fire back up at a later date. At least that was the thinking. We'll find out. We'll find out if going to minus 40 uh, a week ago changes folks' thoughts. We've seen all kinds of manipulation in the market since then, all kinds of rule changes. Uh, but what I liked about it is that it was a market doing what a market needed to do. The future spreads were right in, right in line with it. You know, it's everything that I've always talked about, and it just really, really shone the spotlight on what can happen fundamentals just get so overly bearish and the rest of the market joins in. Darren, when we're talking bearish fundamentals, it is tough to find a more bearishly fundamental market than the pork market right now. I mean, we just can't. Hogs moved off the farm. They have no place to hang in the packing facility. And yet hogs went limit up today. What's going on there? Hogs and cattle to a certain degree are interesting that the fundamentals, fundamentals aren't bearish. They're certainly not bullish. The fact is we have incredible demand. I mean, you, you got go, the governors of New, New York and New Jersey, if I recall, saying we're going to run out of meat. People want meat. They, they want real meat at the counter. There is a huge demand out there. Contrast that with crude oil. Contrast that with corn. Contrast that with so many other markets. There's real demand out there. We have a large supply, but we can't connect the two. We can't that 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 chain is broken you know and, and any chain is again only as strong as its weakest link and the weakest link right now is the processing plants the processing plants can't process the huge supply and therefore they can't set up, you know adequate meat out to fulfill strong demand so there's great demand from that part of fundamentals it's incredibly bullish from supplies we're looking bearish because we have a backup in supplies now and it's that middle link. It's that, it's that middle link of the chain that's broken. And it could be a while before it gets repaired. Darren, when you look at the processing facility, I mean, I'm sure you hear producers tweeting out and posting things about just the discrepancy or, or the lack of price support that they see at their levels compared to packer margins. Mm-hmm. Do you see producers holding off on selling livestock, specifically cattle and hogs? And waiting yes. for the packer to hopefully uh, give them better prices, or what do you think? What do you see happening there? Well, it's 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 the typical situation. It's it's the typical atypical situation. Let me put it that way. Um, we've seen in the past when we get to see this this disconnect between what the packers are bidding and what the packers are being paid. That often cattle are held back then. Let's just use cattle as an example. It's, we see it more in the cattle market than hogs. So you hold the cattle back, and that's all well and good, but then what happens? They, they keep gaining weight. They, they keep eating. And so then you get that, you know, that, that quote, 
you know, wall of, of, of meat coming at you at some point because you've got all these heavier cattle that at some point are going to move through the processing plant. At least that's the theory. So it would not surprise me uh, if producers are holding them back, waiting for better bids. But the problem is there's not really very many bids coming from the packing plants right now because they're, because they're either shut down, partially shut down. They're going on limited schedules. Uh, so the, the, the bids coming from the packers are going down. Yes. The bids going to the packers is going up. I, I had someone tell me there was a, a record high boxed beef price paid uh, either late last week or early this week. So, there is a there is a huge break here. Uh, you know, as my my as our as our friends uh, who have long pa- who have recently passed, most notably Walt Hackney, uh, used to say, "This market's broken. This is definitely a broken market because that di- that that connection between producers, packers, and the and the and the grocery store that that link's been broken, and those bids aren't going to get better anytime soon." So, Darren, if that's the case, how can producers, how can feedlot operators manage their risk when things are this crazy? Or do you just throw up your hands and say it is what it is? I, you know, that's, that's a great question, Mike. Because right now, if you have, them, if you have cattle hedged, uh, let's say you've got live cattle hedged, basis was working for you up until recently. Now you've got the short hedges on, the futures are going up and, and basis is getting crushed because the cash market's coming down. So I honestly don't know what to do. I, I'm not going to sit here and make up a strategy that, you know, one size fits all. It's tough. Uh, you know, if I look at the trends of the futures, certainly looks like cattle are going to want to go up. And if that's the case, I certainly don't want to be sitting here holding short hedges. We've seen this play out in the grain markets before where all of a sudden futures markets are skyrocketing and basis collapses. That's the worst case scenario for those holding hedges. So best case scenario, we can get the processing plants up and running again and packer bids start to come back up. Do I see that happening anytime soon? Absolutely not. Well, Darren, you are usually one that likes to trade during bear markets like Mm -hmm. these. Walk us through what's going on in the grain. Specifically, let's talk corn, especially after a wipeout day like they've had today. All ethanol related, I assume. But is there anything, I know this isn't your forte, but is there anything that we have to be positive about that could perhaps change around this corn market story? (laughs) Um, You know... The positive thing is that there's a positive correlation. You know, every, you know, way back when, you know, everybody who wanted to be bullish corn uh, looked for the correlation to, to crude oil. Okay, well, there's a positive correlation between crude oil and corn. If you want me to be positive about something, now the question is, we saw crude oil again go negative. We go saw it go into negative numbers. Can it happen to corn? Probably not. I've I've talked about this. I've written about it a great deal, but. I'm already looking at some uh, at some places up in the northern plains, most notably North Dakota, where county prices are getting ready to go below county loan rates. So isn't that the equivalent of going below zero? If you go below the the you know the the the, pri- the, the loan price uh, and you start getting LDP payments, that to me is the equivalent of going below zero, and we're starting to see that. How long until it works its way across the Midwest? You know, ethanol plants are shutting down. 
feed could uh, feed demand could start to shut down if we start to hear more about herd liquidation, these sorts of things. We know there's not a lot of exports at this point. So the three legs of corn's demand stool all seem to be in trouble at this point. And that's while we are out planting right now, and nobody knows how many acres we're going to plant. But from what I understand, there's a lot of tractors and a lot of planters run, uh, running across the U.S. Midwest at this point. Um, so we could be looking at a situation, again, similar to what I just talked about in crude oil, where we are increasing production, we have an oversupply, and we don't have any demand. The positive is it's a core, you know, there's a positive correlation to what we saw in crude oil. All right. Okay. Well, let's, let's find something maybe a little bit more optimistic, Darren. Sure. Looking at wheat, huh? We saw Russia say they're going to run through their export limitations here this mm -hmm. week or next week if they haven't hit it already. That spiked a heck of a run early last week in the, in the wheat futures pretty well across the board. Now that's kind of uh, gone away a little bit. But are, is there still demand in the wheat market looking globally? Yeah, demand, demand's holding together relatively well. Uh, you know, it is holding together relatively well. And the, and the big news last week in the wheat market was that we, you know, we, we went through the previous week with sub-freezing temperatures across both the Southern Plains and the U.S. Midwest. And so the new crop winter wheat markets look to be, or winter wheat crops look to be in, in some jeopardy, but it's wheat. And by the end of last week, you know, you talked about how we rallied early in the week, then we fell back late in the week. Well, late in the week, the crop started to look pretty good again, despite everything, despite the freeze, despite hail part across parts of the Southern Plains, this, that, and everything else, wheat started to look pretty good again. So I think there is still a chance that, uh, that we see some export demand for wheat. Um, it's not been lights out fantastic at this point, uh, not by anything that I've been looking at. There's always the possibility that it could get better. I think the real concern, though, is what is going on with the crops, the new crops themselves. And I think that's where the market's focus is. And the fact that it's going to have to be proven once again, that it's actually dead before anyone buys into it long-term. Darren, I've got just kind of a big final question for you here. As you look at the general economy, it's not doing relatively well, maybe heading into a recession, if that is the case, or even if it's not the case, but when do we see some of these funds and spectators entering into the agricultural commodity markets? Do you think we'll see that happen? Entering in in, in, in which direction? I guess either direction, creating some volatility. Uh, you know, we, we've, seen, we've seen a great deal of volatility. We've seen non-commercial positions building, particularly short positions building in the corn market. Um, and, and that's really what it looks like we could face. And remember, you know, Newsom's rule number six, fundamentals win in the end. So what these funds are going to be looking at is what are the fundamental reads of these different markets? We have an enormous carry in the crude oil market. We have a strengthening carry in the corn. We have a strengthening carry in the wheat market. So all of this is suggesting we may not see fundamental situations that's going to be worth funds buying into. But is there one? Oddly enough, it's soybeans. If you look out long-term, they still have a bullish long-term forward curve. So if money starts to come in, needing a place to hide, maybe they look at soybeans again for this new year. There's, there's always that possibility. There's always possibilities. The markets can always do what you don't expect. Look at last Monday's crude as a prime example. Darren, if our listeners want to subscribe to get more of your thoughts on a daily basis, how can they go to do that? Easiest way is to go to DarrenNewsom.com. 
uh, go to the services part, uh, go to the services drop down menu. You can take a look at all that we've got to offer from just uh, from, from our commentary section to our analysis, which includes cut commentary and analysis. Uh, take a look around. I mean, you sign up for a seven day free trial, take a look around. Most folks are familiar with what I talk about. Uh, they can, they can, they can look at that and, uh, and see what they like and uh, get in touch with me and, and we can go from there. Fantastic. Well, Darren Newsom, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. We always appreciate your insight. I appreciate you guys having me on again. Well, again, a big thank you there to Darren. Do make sure you follow him, follow him on Twitter. He is an active tweeter, if you will, but uh, always great to have him on and get his insight. It certainly is. Delaney, if listeners want to stay up to date in these volatile times about what is happening in the world of agriculture, they can tune into the podcast. If you've missed an episode, visit the website. Go to agnewsdaily.com. You can check on all of our episodes there, as well as interact with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just go to at agnewsdaily at any one of those platforms. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.